So what comes to mind when you hear the word family? Don't say it out loud. <laughs> you know, families come, come in all shapes and sizes. Some are big families, some are small families, some are really tight-knit families, some families are, are just a little bit more loose and spread out. Some families are huggers, some families are talkers. One thing that, that I was thinking about, though, with families is families are like noses. Noses. Everybody's got one, and sometimes they're snotty and full of boogers. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to start out that way so you guys wouldn't be hungry and that wouldn't distract you or anything. We've been talking, uh, uh, going through this series entitled... Uh, blueprint God's design for the church and this is a study of first Timothy and the apostle Paul is has talked about the the elders uh, that is the the pastors in the church he's talked about the deacons and and so now he comes to the household of God and and so today we're going to look at that what does it mean to be the household of God and and really what we're talking about and and it's one of my favorite words uh, to describe the church is family the church as a family and so let's look, let's begin in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. The Apostle Paul's writing this, and and he doesn't really get into the details of what it means to be the household of God, but he mentions it. He's telling Timothy, listen, the reason that I'm writing this, he said, I hope to be able to come to you soon. But if I'm delayed, I'm writing this so that you may know, remember this is instructions for the church, that you may know how one ought to behave and the household of God. Now, now those are two words that I heard a lot growing up. Ought to. Uh, they, we don't use those words much more uh, anymore. Wow. We don't use many of the words that I use now anymore, do we? We don't use those words too much anymore, do we? But you ought to behave. My, my dad, one of the things he would say is, and, and I don't know about you. I, I, I know we, we have some, some, some younger kids in here. And parents, if you do this, that, that, that's your decision. My dad never did like the countdown for me. You know what I mean? I had to learn to count from somebody else, not my dad. But, but he didn't say, Larry, you better stop that. One, two. He never did that. This is the way it looked in my family. It'd say, son. He always called me son. In fact, I was so bright when I was little, my daddy called me son. I always look for a place to say that. But, but he would say, son, stop it. If I dare go beyond that, he'd say, son, you better behave. And I knew that was it. The next thing after that was painful. And I, I have a hard time believing it hurt him more than it hurt me. Um, and one, I know he never cried after he spanked me. Um, so, so how you ought to behave in the household of God, in the family of God. And, and listen, I, I don't know about you, I've talked with a lot of people over the years who won't come to church, and many, many of them, the reason is 
they've either been hurt by someone who calls himself a Christian or they've been hurt by a church. And, and, it, and it ought not be that way. Um, though, and so Paul's writing to Timothy and he's talking, listen, I want you to know how you ought to behave in the household of God. Listen, this is the church. This is the family of God. And we need to treat one another as family in such a way that the world around takes notice, but in a good way. So let me give you, let me give you quickly three things uh, that, that help us know how we ought to behave. So, so we should behave in such a way in the household of God that first of all, God is glorified. So we need to behave in a household of God in such a way that we glorify God. Here's what I mean by that. In our interactions with one another as believers, particularly within the walls of this church, and I know we have some guests here, so you can pack this up, take this home with you. But as the, the way that we treat one another within the walls of these church ought to, ought to glorify God not only here but out in the community. What ought to happen, and, and by the way, um, let, let me just do a, a quick little little straw poll here. You, you, you can raise your hands because uh, I want to know because my family's weird. I, we know we're weird. Um, every, we used to think everybody else was weird. I think it's just us. Um, but so so I, I just want to make sure this is true, not just for our family. Any of you ever get angry with anybody in your family? Have you ever had an argument with anybody in your family? Did you ever disagree with anybody in your family? Right? Okay, well, well, good. So maybe we're all in the same family after all. That's going to happen within the household of God. It's just going to. Now, we want to do the best that we can to, to mitigate that, to keep that uh, at a minimum. But listen, you hang around me long enough, you're going to get irritated with me. You're just going to. Um, I, I talked about phobias a bit in the first service, and, and, and this is a really... Sweet student. Um, people have phobias that kind of the, uh, my definition of phobia is an unreasonable fear. You know, some people have a fear of heights. Some people have a fear of open spaces. Some people have a fear of closed spaces. Some people have a fear of germs. One of my favorite Bob Newhart clips was that poor lady going through that counseling session and she finally gets to a place. He says, is there anything else? She goes, well, you know, I'm afraid of germs. I wash my hands a lot. He goes, oh, that's okay. I wash my hands all the time. There are germs everywhere. Some people are afraid of those things. Well, this one girl's afraid of moths. Yeah, it's a hard place to live if you're afraid of, of moths. And, and so, so they were like flying around and she's kind of freaking out a little bit. And the ornery in me came out. That's another word you don't use a whole lot anymore. The ornery in me came out. And I came up and I said, look. <laughs> she might have been a little irritated with me at that moment. That's going to happen in families. It's going to. We accept that. We know it's going to happen in our families at home. It'll happen within the household of God. And, and when it does, the way we handle that is going to make all the difference to, to our testimony in the world. The way we handle that will make all the difference in whether God is going to be glorified or not. Because it will happen, I promise. You'll get irritated with me. I'll get irritated at you. We may together get irritated at somebody else. That happens sometimes too. When it does, the way we handle that should glorify God, whether it's confession, repentance, whatever that takes. The way we handle that should glorify God. The other thing is, 
that we ought to behave in such a way that we build up the body of Christ. Uh, Bambi, I remember that one. That is a very politically incorrect movie, by the way. Um, but, but Bambi, remember there's one little place, I think it was Thumper that, that said it. Um, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Well, the Bible goes actually beyond that. The Bible says, let the words that come out of your mouth be edifying, be building up. And so, so one of the things that, that, that maybe we just need to start asking ourselves is, are the things that I'm saying building up the body of Christ? Are the things that I'm doing building up the body of Christ? And and the way that I'm reacting to a situation building up the body of Christ is the way that we interact with one another building up the body of Christ. And if the answer is no, then we don't need to do it. And then finally, not in the message, I don't want to get your hopes up. Um, Finally, uh, in the household of God, the way that we behave should point people to Jesus. The way that we treat one another should point people to Jesus. When we disagree, when we have an argument, I know that actually that probably is in the Baptist Bible. Um, when when we when we get crossways with one another, the way we handle that should make people, particularly on the outside, say, you know what? If that's the way Jesus is, I like that. If that's what it means to be a Christian, I like that. That's the way that it it ought to be. And it should point them to him rather than turn them away. And and every time I talk about things like this, because I just gave you three things that deal with outward behavior... I, I immediately start thinking, boy, I need to be better at this, or I need to be better at that, or I need to do that better, or I need to stop doing that. And, and we start thinking about all the externals. Listen, here's something that you need to know. The big idea is your behavior on the outside is determined by your belief on the inside. Let me say that again. Your behavior is determined by your belief. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't know about that. Well, let, let's put it in context. I'll pick on, I'll pick on Jim because he's, he's sitting in that spot right there. I picked on John because he was in that spot last, last certain message. So, so I'll pick on Jim. Let's say that, and we actually have one around here. Have you seen that six-foot A-frame wood? It, it's older than Hope, probably about as old as Hillary, so it's 20-some years old. And, and, and it's a rickety ladder. If... if if I said, if Jim, I brought out that ladder and he's going to climb up and he's going to have to stand on the top, which is not a step, by the way, it tells you that. Not on this one because it's too old. But um, uh, he's going to have to stand on the top step uh, to get something. And if I told Jim, I said, Jim, go ahead and use this ladder. I'll hold it really steady so you won't fall. Now, what he believes is going to determine how he behaves right in that moment. If he doesn't believe, now, now I say this all the time to you, you can trust my intent. It's my ability you might need to question occasionally. But in that moment, what he believes is going to determine how he behaves. If he doesn't believe that I can or will keep that ladder steady enough that he won't fall, he's not going to climb up that ladder. 
Unless he just has a death wish. I don't know. And, and it's that way with us. It, it works out that way for us in our life. And we see it all the time. And, and usually it deals with stuff w- w- with us and God or, or usually relationships with, with us and other people. What we believe is going to determine how we behave. And I believe that's why Paul then launches into this next section. My my dad used to say it like this. My dad used to say, son, what's in the well comes up. Now, I grew up in the city, and that, you know, I I had to, like, make a leap there because we turned the faucet on, and that's what came out. But what's in the faucet comes out in the sink. I don't know. I don't think you can modernize that. James said it this way, James chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. And he's talking about the tongue, which is usually uh, one of the problems that we have. He said, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? That's a rhetorical question. Or can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water what he's saying is what's in the inside is what's going to what's going to happen on the outside what's in the inside is going to determine what happens on the outside now yesterday uh we were working with some wood and 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 uh and there, there was a guy i won't say his name but uh a guy and 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 i don't know if this has ever happened to you he's putting a screw in a board and and it goes through the board, and that's like as far as it goes. It doesn't go into the board behind it. And man, he's just giving it with that cordless drill. And then finally, he pulled the board away, and he goes, "Oh, there's a nail head behind there." And so then he backed it out. And I don't know if this happens to you. This happens to me far too often. You do something, and as soon as you do, you think that's a bad idea. So he backed that screw out after trying to get it to go in there for several seconds, and he backed it back out and he grabbed it. And 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 I'll I'll say verbatim what he said. And and now this guy this guy doesn't even claim to be a Christian, but I said, that's impressive. Because that tells me what's on the inside. When you try to control what happens just from outward kind of things, when you grab hold of an almost red hot screw, what comes out isn't high. Right? When you hit your thumb with a hammer, what's on the inside, that's what comes out. And that's what James is saying. So, so Paul is saying that too, that, that your behavior is determined by your belief. And that's why I believe he launches now into this. I love the way he says it. He says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And we're, we're talking about here how you ought to behave. And then what does he do? He points right to Jesus. And, and this, this next section, the, the last part in, in here, verse, verse 16, is really, I believe, either a saying that they had already, that this sounds like something that Paul has heard, sounds like something that they would have either sang or, or recited, so maybe it was a hymn or a creed. But here's what he says. He's talking about Jesus. And he says, he was manifested in the flesh. You see, what we believe determines how we behave. What Paul's talking about here, immediately when I read this, I went to John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. See, you see, here's what Paul's getting at here. How we ought to behave 
in the household of God is determined by what we believe in. And this is essential. We need to know Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He fulfilled the law where we could not. Isn't that amazing? The Word became flesh. God the Son didn't put on a skin suit. So he didn't, you know, just like happen here in a body for a little bit. When, when John writes, the Word became flesh, what that means is this Word who was always with God and who was God that he talks about in the beginning of the chapter, that he became flesh, fully God, fully man. I don't understand all that. I don't comprehend all that. But that's what, that's what it is. And he lived the life we could not. Here's what you need to know, and this is a little bit beside the point, but when I was a new Christian, I didn't think about things like this a whole lot. Jesus, once and for all, never to be repeated, became flesh. What that means is, That Jesus still has a body. Jesus is God the Son in the flesh. He didn't put on a skin suit, so he didn't come here and inhabit flesh for a little bit and then shed it and go on. We're going to get to that in a moment because that deals with the resurrection. But he became flesh, fully God, fully man, lived the life that we could not. Why? It goes to the next thing. He was vindicated by the Spirit. That sounds a little bit odd for us, but here's what that's saying. Because Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life, he fulfilled the law that he was the acceptable sacrifice for our sin. The way Paul writes about it in Corinthians is that God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Here's what happened. Jesus, perfect, fully God, fully man, human and God, Hung on the cross, God took our sin and placed it upon him. He became our sin. And then God took the punishment, the wrath for our sin, and poured it out on Jesus on the cross. And it was enough. He was vindicated by the Spirit. It was enough. It was the full satisfaction for our sin. He took all of our punishment. So that... Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We cannot be condemned for our sin because Jesus was condemned in our place. Isn't that cool? I get excited about this. The next thing he says, he was seen by the angels. This is talking about the resurrection. So first we have that Jesus came and dwelt as God in the flesh that he died on the cross in our place, taking our sin and the punishment for our sin. But three days later, he was raised from the dead in his glorified body. It wasn't glorified in the beginning, but in body. Jesus was raised from the dead in the body that he still has to this day. You know, the Bible talks about, you can skip to the end of the story, Revelation. It's always fun if you like get a little bit discouraged along the way, uh, go to the end. It turns out really good. And it says he's going to come back and he has the nail prints in his hands to this day. He has the hole in his side that the centurion uh, pierced 
to this day. He is in his glorified body. He was raised from the dead. And another thing I didn't think about a whole lot when I was a brand new Christian, I kind of thought, you know, because we read the, the Easter story, and, and, and Jesus is resurrected, the women see him, the, the disciples see him, and we kind of get this idea that, you know, he's just kind of huddling around with the disciples, and then poof, he's gone. And they're like, he's alive, he's alive, and people just have to take their word. That's not the case. Do you realize when Jesus was raised from the dead that he walked on this earth for 40 days? That's about six weeks now, if that doesn't seem like a long time for you, if you're a student, that's six weeks at school. Not the six weeks past, it's the six weeks in front of you, right? And that he was seen multiple times by multiple people. And Paul says at one point in a crowd of over 500, and Paul notes who most of them were still alive at the time that he wrote that letter. Jesus is alive. He's alive, and he didn't go, poof. We're going to talk about what happens. Then it says, he was not only seen by the angels, but he was proclaimed among the nations. We saw that happen in the beginning in in Pentecost. Do you remember that? In Jerusalem, there were there Jews from every nation under heaven, Scripture tells us. And Peter got up and preached amazing every pastor aspires to this he preached about a 15 or 20 minute message and 3,000 people got saved that's a good Sunday (laughs) gonna build a new building for next week now he was proclaimed and and the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ that he paid for our sin and that he he was raised from the dead as proof that he was victorious over sin and death. That good news, he was proclaimed through the nations, and that continues to this day. He is being proclaimed throughout the world as the risen Savior, not a dead martyr, the risen Savior. And then it says, he was believed on in the world. It it started with 3,000. That's a good start for a church. 3,000 people it started with on the day of Pentecost, and it just began, and it continues to this day. There are people who are putting their faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but, but the apostles, the, the uh, disciples, Judas hung himself, we know that, and then all the rest of them, as near as we can tell except for John, they were killed for their faith. And, and, and when John and Peter were hauled in in, in Acts, I think it's chapter 4, they were hauled in and, and roughed up a bit, beaten, and told no more to teach in the name of Jesus Christ. They said, we can't help but teach the things that we've seen and heard. We, we have to tell. And people are still coming to faith in Christ. And then it says he was taken up in glory. That sounds like a sad end of the story. It's not. Jesus tried preparing the disciples over and over and over. You remember in John, he kept telling them, you know, that the Son of Man is, has to be crucified. And they would say, no, 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 that can't happen. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go, but I won't leave you alone. I'll ask the Father and he'll send the Comforter. He was taken up in glory. And I, I, I'm always careful. I, I don't. Actually, sometimes I do like to shake you up just a little bit. Um, 
But, but I want to make sure that our theology is based on Scripture. So, so, so let, me, let me clear this up for you. That, that, that poem, Footprints in the Sand, you remember that? I love that, by the way. That is a great metaphor for God's presence with us. But there's a theological flaw. Jesus isn't here. Now, I know we kind of think about that. You know, we're, you know Jesus is, you know, he's, he's kind of invisible and he's here. Remember, Jesus has a body. He has a body that we can see. And Jesus said, I'm going to be with the Father, but he will send the Comforter. The Holy Spirit is God with us now. Because Scripture teaches that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. You know what that means? In fact, we, we see this over and over and over in Scripture. All Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 28. All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to him. You understand what that means? Jesus is calling all of the shots. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is in charge. And, and when we see that, that sounds a little sad. He was, he was taken up in glory. He's taken away from us. He's not here with us. But what that reminds me continually is his promise to return. You remember when he's trying to comfort the disciples and John, he says, look, look, listen, I go and prepare a place for you. If that wasn't true, I wouldn't tell you that. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and I'm going to take you to the place that I prepared. What we believe determines how we behave. Do you know what is keeping Jesus from coming back this very instant? Only a word from his father. Who is sitting just to his left. With just a word from the father, Jesus will come back. Now, we don't know what the father's waiting for. Well, we do. So that everyone who would repent will. And come to faith in Christ. But let me ask you this. What we believe determines how we behave. If you knew beyond a shadow of doubt that Jesus would return at 12 sharp today. Would it make a difference in how you behave? Some of you are going, you betcha. I'd be out of here in a heartbeat. <laughs> I'd go find everybody I could and tell them. Jesus is coming back and you need to be ready. And that's why Paul gives, I believe, what is this creed for us. Because if we believe this, it'll change the way we behave. So how do we believe this? There's no switch we can flip on. You can't just say, all right, yeah, I believe. I always feel like the man that came to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Rather than trying to change our behavior on the outside, why don't we get more concerned with letting God change us from the inside? And, and in changing what we believe, the, the best way that I know for that to happen is through His Word and His Spirit. 
And the experience in my life has been that the times that I've grown the most in my faith, the time that God has changed me the most, were the times when I was in a small group Bible study with other believers. You get the word from the proclaiming of the word from the pulpit. You get the word from from reading and spending time uh, with God, just your personal time with him. But there's something different about gathering in a small group of other believers and studying his word and and letting God use that life-on-life connection with one another. That accountability that happens with one another. So I want to challenge you this morning. Uh, For our guests, there's no way I can follow up on you. But God is watching you. In a good way. I want to challenge you, if you are not involved in a small group Bible study somewhere, get involved in one. Now here, what that looks like for us right now is on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we have two adult Bible studies. We have children's Bible study and we have student Bible study. On Thursday mornings at 6, that's in the a.m., we have men's Bible study. Uh, September, they'll start back up with a women's Bible study. Get plugged into a small group Bible study. I, I hope before too long we can, we can restart our connection group Bible studies. But I want to encourage you. I, I want to challenge you. Get involved in a small group Bible study. God works in those. In my life, it has been in, in ways that he, that he has in, in, in others. In huge ways. Get plugged in. Some of you are saying, I don't know. Every, every time God speaks to me, I, I, I find myself at this kind of little crossroad. If, if I wait until I am ready or able to do what God has called me to do, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> what I need to do is to say yes. Now, I might have to say Okay, Lord, but I don't know how. <laughs> All right, Lord, but you're, you're going to have to make that happen. Um, <laughs> I believe, but you're going to help me in my unbelief. <laughs> I trust you. You're going to have to help me trust you more. W- what it looks like for me that oftentimes is, God, I'll say yes, and now you're going to have to give me the courage to obey. So let me just encourage you. Let me challenge you. And, and I said this in, in the first service, and, and I'll say it again. You, you might be saying, I don't have time. You just say yes and let God help you make time. You might say, there, there's, there's not one that, that I can plug into and I can fit in. You say yes and either let God make one for you or maybe God's calling you to be the start of one. Go find three people and say, will you get in a Bible study with me? The only time I have is 3 a.m. on Fridays. <laughs> You'll find the dedicated people there. No. I, I just want us. I want us to behave in such a way as the household of God that God is glorified in how we, how we deal with one another. That, that, that the body is built up by, by how we, we treat one another and, and engage with one another. 
And, and that people are appointed to Jesus when they look at this household of God here. And I know we can't do that on our own. <laughs> I know there's probably somebody out there saying, I don't know if I can love you. I don't blame you. But you can let God help love, love me through you. I don't know if I can do that on my own. I'd say, you know what? We're all right there in the same boat most of the time. But if we, but if we let God change what we believe, if we let him change our hearts, then we'll behave as we ought to in the household of God. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just, I just want to say thank you for loving us enough to work in our hearts, to deal with us, to convict us when we need it. And, and God, I pray for every single person here, Lord, that you would just encourage us, challenge us, enable us, Lord, to get plugged into a, a small group Bible study. And, and I know that there's some here that are thinking, how in the world can I do that with everything that I've got on my plate? Um, what if I get in there and I don't like the people or all these objections or all these things that come up? Father, I just pray, Lord, for every single one of us, um, God, that you would, you would just give us the courage and the boldness and even the faith just to say yes in obedience, even if we don't know how that's going to happen. And we just say, God, I'll do it. You're going to have to show me how. You're going to have to help me. And Lord, as we, as we take this small step in obedience, that you would just so knit our hearts together in the household of God, Lord, that, that we would be of one heart and one mind. We would be unified and and, and God, that the way that we love and treat one another within the household, your household, Lord, would be a testimony to the world outside. And God, you'd be glorified, your body would be built up, and that people would come to faith in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.